welcome back to Backstories and Side Quests. It has been a while, and I feel it in this recording, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, do some quick housekeeping and then get you caught up and get into the story as quick as possible. So, really, the only thing that I want to make everybody aware of is that we are going to be recording a question and answer bonus episode, and we need your questions to answer. And I'm excited to do this. It's going to be with me and the rest of the D&D crew. So if you have questions about storytelling, great. If you have questions about the individual characters, awesome. If you have questions about how to run a campaign, just send them our way. Uh, We'd love to answer them. Now for the catch up, it's been a while and I hope you remember, but where we left off, uh, Ren had just had a run-in with her old um, master, I guess. And he came in to her house and beat up Rita and ran off with honor. And also during that encounter, we found out that he wasn't, in fact, human. He's what's known as an Arkenlaw. And Ren got all bent out of shape about it, but then figured things out. And Instead of going and chasing after Honor the way that she wanted to do, she had to complete a mission with this group. And what happened on that mission was they had to go to a tower and help somebody break free of the big bad cult that they're fighting in the hopes of getting more information. And they got no information from the guy because it turns out nobody trusted him and didn't actually tell him anything. And what he thought he had, he did not actually have. And so when this story opens up, Rin's kind of pissed off about it and stomping around. Um, but I think that's it. Let's go ahead and get into the story. After the first night with the ring, Travok felt, well, he knew the phrase lighter than air was a cliche, but that's how he felt. Light. So light that he thought he might float away if he became too distracted. Maybe you should take up dancing, he thought as he walked down the halls of Blackstaff's tower. It took everything in him not to skip. He loved how he could just idly think of things now, without any fear of derisive laughter flooding his mind. He could think about dancing, or skipping. He could idly wonder about women, or sit down and read one of his favorite epic poems. His thoughts, his mind, his life, all of it was his again. Maybe, he thought, on a giddy burst of high spirits. Maybe this could be it. Yes, the ring was supposed to be a temporary measure, but if it was working this well, why did it have to be temporary? He could help the others with this business with the cult, and after that was done, he could come back here and study under Blackstaff. He could specialize in psychic defense and warfare, since he was able to pick it up so easily, and a thrall could rot where it was, buried in his mind and buried in the minds of Durandur. That night when he went to bed, he dreamed of his city, his beautiful city that only he understood. He walked its halls and rearranged libraries and lounged in gloriously impossible gardens. His favorite garden looked like it belonged to a grand country estate. It was always lit by the perfect light of a perfect springtime sun. The air smelled of honeysuckle and rain. It was always the perfect day for a picnic, and it was always the perfect time for a walk. The flowers and paths seemed to stretch for miles in the unending beauty of nature that had been tamed and organized. However, as Travok walked down one of these many paths, surveying his kingdom and enjoying being master of his own mind, 
His foot passed over one of the paving stones, and it trembled ever so slightly. It kept trembling even when his foot wasn't pressing on it. He bent to look at the stone, and a sudden thought popped into his head, so terrible that he couldn't help but say it out loud. I'm not doing that, Travok said, then woke up in a cold panic. But he was fine. He couldn't hear any voices. The thrall wasn't sitting in the corner smirking. His room and his life were exactly as he had left them the night before. Everything was fine. It was just a dream. A dream that for the most part had been pleasant. He was still getting used to the ring and his newfound mental defenses after all. Bad dreams must come with the territory. The natural growing pains that come with learning any new skill. He just needed more study and more practice. He would ask Blackstaff for some book recommendations in the morning. So Travok read and traveled. He stood in the Council of the Metallic Dragons and offered what he could. He was introduced to the Council of Waterdeep, and he sat and listened and prepared himself to make use of his talents. And he read and studied and strengthened his mind. Most of what he read suggested making meditation a daily practice, and so he did. Some of the texts highly recommended the burning of incense to help focus the mind, which Travok took one whiff of and decided that that particular practice was ridiculous. He was doing what he did best. Studying, learning, stretching his mind, answering questions, steadily but surely growing stronger in his craft, and he loved every minute of it. His days were still good, and even though his mind was heavy with new information, it was a pleasant weight, and his heart was still light. His days were still good, but his nights grew more and more frantic. The stone in the garden still trembled, and now it was growing hot. In his mind, Travok walled off the garden, built a new city, a new maze. He checked and rechecked traps and moved books and mirrors to new locations. And he woke up tired but satisfied in his own safety. Nothing would destroy his good mood. Not even Wren, with her constant teasing and cocky grin, could ruin his happiness. Wren. It was best not to think about Wren, Travok decided. The thrall was right. She was distracting, and for all the wrong reasons. The problem was, she was a very hard person not to think about. How could a person so good at hiding be so loud once they allowed themselves to be found? But it wasn't just that she was loud, or incapable of keeping her opinion to herself, but she was also very clever and funny. In Travok's experience, very few women bothered to be funny. He told her this, trying to pay her compliment and bridge the gap between them. She looked him in the eyes and informed him that most of the women she knew were actually very funny. So if he didn't know any funny women, that either meant his experience with women was painfully limited, or he wasn't clever enough to get any of their jokes. Then she tied a rope around her waist and ran across a bridge that seemed to stretch into stars in a deep black nothingness. Impossible. She was impossible and nosy and frustrating. She could be polite to the point of courtliness to strangers, and then blunt to the point of rudeness with her friends. Yes, Rin was still cocky and arrogant, but she was also different than what Travok supposed her to be. It was best not to think about Rin because she was distracting, but also because he had misjudged her, and that thought filled him with guilt. When Serafina had told them that Rin was on the run from a former employer who might give them trouble, Travok had assumed that Wren had stolen something, or knew something, or made fun of the wrong person's haircut. And then, and then, he remembered seeing that woman cradled in Varus's arms, bruises turning her orange skin green as Wren raged and paced. 
He remembered trying to reason with her, direct her mind to the problem at hand. His forehead still felt bruised from where she had flicked him. He had deserved that. He knew he had deserved it. What would he have been like if a thrall had destroyed the inn, injured his parents, and stolen Flint? What if Varus had been holding Trevok's mother in his arms? As Ren saw to the practical needs of the people she called family, and boldly declared her allegiance to a part of Waterdeep that most people had tried to forget, Trevok felt ashamed that he had once thought she was without loyalty. He had wanted to tell her everything right then. He had wanted to tell her that he knew what it was like to be indentured to an evil being. He had wanted to tell her that she had their support. They would find her brother. They would solve this problem. He wanted to tell her that he had just won his own freedom. It was possible. He wanted to say, but he wasn't sure what he really wanted to say, or where to even start. He was still Trabak, who never seemed to have the right words. And she was still Ren, who always seemed to have too many of them. The children had burst through the door, he had done magic, and Rin had made him blush as she reminded him of that moment in the library. The moment was gone, but his good mood could not even be shaken by lost moments or embarrassing reminders. Yes, Rin was distracting, frustrating, impossible, rude on more than one occasion, and now seemed to be more prone to rages than ever, but he could forgive her all those things. In fact, maybe the best way to not think about her was to forgive her. She was going through something after all. He had been lucky enough to escape the consequences she was now suffering through. It was the right thing to do. So he'd forgive her for snatching his book, and not accepting his compliments, and even flicking his forehead, which she seemed to have taken a liking for. He would forgive her all those things, and then not think about her. You can't just threaten to kill people, Wren, Seraphina said in an exasperated tone once the door to the interrogation room closed behind them. The party, plus Leos and Blackstaff, all stood in a small antechamber and watched Wren stalk around the room like a caged cat. You threatened to kill a man's bird, Wren said, as she turned to spread her arms wide. And that bird was actually useful. That pile of dung, she said, pointing at the door, is the biggest waste of time I've ever been forced to meet. We could have been doing anything. Anything. We could have been taking a nap, or sharpening our swords, or, here's a thought, we could have been looking for honor. And yet, Vara said as he leaned against the wall with his arms crossed over his chest, you can't kill a person just because they aren't useful. Oh, I think you could still be useful, Rin said as she continued her march around the room. There is no way he knows nothing, and I'm not going to kill him. I'm just going to make sure every shadowy figure in Waterdeep knows he's in the city, and he's helping us learn more about the cult. Which would be a death sentence, said Seraphina. Only if he leaves the tower, Rin corrected. Only if he rejects the protection of the council and decides not to cooperate with the Harpers. The room fell silent for a minute as everyone thought about what she had just suggested. Finally, Vara said, You start that rumor, and he would be forced to cooperate. If he wanted protection, he would have to start giving us useful information. Another long pause, and then Leosin said, it's not a bad idea. Any idea that says you should do a bad thing is a bad idea, said the queen as she gave the elf a steady, condescending glare. I'm going to go check on Rita and the children, Rin said as she turned and started to move towards the hallway. After that, I'm going to the bay horse for drinking, dancing, and to talk to a few friends. If anyone really doesn't want me talking to my friends, you best come up with some better arguments before I leave.
As Ren walked with purpose down the hall, Boris, Serafina, and Leosin turned to go back into the interrogation room and continue their talk with Iskander, and the queen made her slow, measured way back to her own room. Only Trebok and Blackstaff remained. Perhaps you should go talk to her, Blackstaff said, given that both of you have so much in common. Trebok's head snapped up. He tried to look inquisitive instead of shocked and worried, and he wasn't sure if he pulled it off. Because both of you practice magic, the wizard said his expression unchanged. Everyone in our party can do spells, Shravok said, still trying to guess how much and what Blackstaff knew. Even so, even so, he said, as he stared down the hallway in the direction Ren had gone. Then he sighed and said, or maybe it's best that you don't talk to her. She strikes me as the kind of person who burns hot for a moment, but is used to calming herself down. Well, Shravok said after a moment, I'm going to turn in then. Good idea. Blackstaff said, and then, how's your lucid dreaming practice coming? Good, Trevok said, and felt the hairs on the back of his neck go prickly. Good, Blackstaff said. Make sure to meditate beforehand. Have you tried the incense yet? Trevok wrinkled his nose, and Blackstaff chuckled. Yes, I don't much care for the stuff either, but I know a druid who swears by it. I'll make sure to send some with you before you leave in the morning. In his dreams that night, Trevok ran through the streets of his city, pulling his friends behind him. The buildings and bookshelves grew taller and taller, darker and darker, till they all blended together into the same shades of black and brown. They were no longer in a city. They were in the mines, being chased by something that was just out of sight, just around the corner, but still coming for them. Soon he became lost, hopelessly lost, and still they ran. Finally, they came upon a house. He shoved all four of them inside and slammed the door. Trevok frantically started picking up tables and chairs and piling them in front of the doors and windows in an attempt to keep their pursuer at bay. You should have told us, the queen said in the flat, dull voice of the dead, as Trevok tried to summon boards and nails and hammers and got to work on the front windows. If you had told us, we could have saved ourselves, at least, Seraphina said in the same dead voice as they all stared at Trevok with dead eyes. We would have left but we would have lived, Varys said, hands limp at his side. Trebok backed away from the window and began to hold his head with his hands, which had started to feel like it was going to split in two. You don't deserve our friendship, Ren said. You never did. And now, we're all going to die. Trebok sat bolt upright in his bed and tried to catch his breath. He scanned the room and listened to his mind. A thrill wasn't there. He was safe. Just a bad dream. He couldn't be perfectly in control all the time. He was still learning. It was just a bad dream. It didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything, Trevok said to himself as he packed. It didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything, he said as they watched Ren reluctantly accept one of the most beautiful bows Trevok had ever seen. It didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything, he thought as he struggled up the steps to Skyreach Castle. It didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything. He thought as they walked to the teleportation circle. They stepped into the circle. They said the queen's name. The light engulfed them. And then they were in Durandur. And Trevok heard it once again. Welcome home, my pet, it said. I see you've returned. Why? Trevok panicked. He flicked his gaze around the room, searching for it, but finding nothing. He absently returned Tordek's salute, and thought, I'm surprised to hear from you. 
Thrill chuckled inside Travok's mind. Lies, it simply said, and then went silent for a time, but it was only for a time. They were greeted by the three stewards of Durandur, the two elders, Halgrim and Thorin, and the captain of the guard, Tordic Starkin. Salutes were given, hands were shook, greetings and well wishes were shared, and Travok heard none of it. He could see lips moving, he knew they were talking, he knew he should be listening, but all he could hear was the ringing in his ears and the pounding of his own heart. He left the conversation and went into his mind. In the safe, perfect library of his inner thoughts, everything was chaos. Travox ran this way and that, pulling books from shelves, yelling and arguing at each other, running from mirror to mirror, searching for any sign of a thrall. Quiet, bellowed Travok in his own mind, and a hush fell over the room. Now what can you tell me? All the Travoks started to talk at once, and the true Travok had to shout them all down again, one at a time. Now, can anyone tell me where it is? There's been no sign of it, one of the Travoks said as they stepped forward. He looked older than the true Travok by a few years, taller, better muscled, with deep-set eyes that looked like they could stare into hell without blinking. It's the me I wish I was, Travok thought, and fought the urge to take a few steps back. He saw his inner self smile slightly and incline his head. I am the you you can be, he said simply. Travok cleared his throat and tried to focus again. No sign of it. But it must be here. I mean, we all heard it, didn't we? A general murmur of consent went around the room. We have not, said a smaller, nervous-looking Travok with glasses. Actually, gone and checked yet. In the garden, I mean. Travok and his better self shared a quick look. No, the better Travok finally said. No, sir, I cannot allow you to do that. You need to stay here and command us. If you are taken, we all fall. Travok opened his mouth to argue, but the older man got there first. If we fall, you can remake us. We do not end so long as you live. Travok paused and then gave his consent with a nod of his head, and as soon as he did, the braver version of himself and a handful of other men were gone. He turned to the main mirror, the one that he used for tracking people in the maze, and watched the group approach the area of the wall that had once been the door that had once led to the garden with loose stone. He watched as two dwarves moved forward and placed their hands on the wall. The wall shifted slightly for a moment, and then crumbled as if it was turning to dust. The three men walked through the opening. The mirror shimmered and then followed the men into what was once the garden. The room was now bathed in green light and black shadows. Trabok stepped closer to the mirror and realized that what he was seeing weren't shadows at all, but it was a creeping and oozing black slime. It dripped from the walls and the trees. It bubbled in the fountain. It splattered the floor and coated the men's boots. In the center of the room was a perfectly square hole. No dirt or debris surrounded it. The hole was perfectly cleaned, as if nothing had ever been there, as if Trabok had never made a tomb out of an iron box and buried it in the earth. The three men inched forward, weapons drawn, to peer over the side of the hole that had no right existing. The whole city held their breath. Finally, his better nature said in a voice that seemed to echo all around his head, It's empty. There's nothing here, sir. For the tiniest of moments, no one knew whether to be relieved or terrified, and then the choice was made for them. Everything was thrown into a red light. Everything was either red or black. 
There were no other colors. The switch was so sudden and without warning that Trebok thought for a moment that something was wrong with the mirror. Maybe something had been draped over it or thrown on it, or maybe his panic was weakening his concentration. But then he turned and saw the other faces in the room, the tables, the books, all drenched in red. A low whisper of panic started as all the Trebox tried to reason, tried to understand what this could possibly mean. Then, as if in answer, three loud knocks. The knocks shook the city and filled the dwarves' bellies. It sounded like a great fist was knocking out a steady rhythm on an iron bell. The sound bounced down hallways and rattled books off shelves. It stole the breath from their lungs, and then it spoke, for the first time in years, in its own voice. Trevok, crooned a thrall in a gurgling sing-song voice. Trevok, where are you? The voice seemed to slither between their legs and crawl over their necks. You can't hide forever, Trevok. I'm coming for you. No one else talked, but everyone's eyes moved, looking for the voice, not wanting to find it. Travak. 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 A forceful voice pulled Travak out of his mind and back into reality. He blinked and gave a mild shake of his head, shocked by the colors he now saw. Forgive me, he said. As he collected his thoughts, my mind was elsewhere. What were you saying? I was saying, Tordic said, looking at Trevok in an unimpressed way that made his neck grow hot, that there will be enough time before dinner to go see your family if you wished. Trevok stared blankly at the captain for several beats, trying to make sense of the words. Dinner, family, time. The words danced in his mind for far too long before they put themselves in the right order. Yes, he finally said. Yes, I should go see them before we go into the mines. Great, boomed Varus. I, for one, want to see where our young wizard first cut his teeth. Let's all go. Trebok tried to picture the giant squeezing his way through the door of the last chance, trying to fit his knees under one of the larger tables, ducking so he didn't bump his head on any of the hanging lamps. Trebok tried to picture all of them in there. Seraphina, Wren, the queen. The queen. His mind revolted at the image. His mother would be shocked into silence at first, and then start communicating only in shrill, anxious questions. Meanwhile, his father wouldn't communicate so much as grunt and offer ale. And Flint? Well, Flint would probably try to get the whole party drunk, and then get himself invited to dinner. With his luck, Flint would actually get invited to dinner, and then try to work his way into some poor maid's bedchamber. A maid, or maybe even... His gaze drifted to Wren. They would like each other, he realized. His brother and Wren both favored plain speech, both seemed to enjoy the same rude humor. Wren was definitely more closed off than Flint, but in a slippery way that the average stranger wouldn't notice. And why shouldn't they like each other, he thought. Wren deserves a bit of a distraction, and maybe, if Trevok was lucky, they would both keep each other out of his hair. And yet, Wren caught him staring at her, and a slow, crooked smile creeped up one corner of her mouth. He quickly snatched his gaze away and said, That won't be necessary. I can go on my own. What's the matter? Wren asked in a superior tone. Are we not good enough to darken the doorway of the family home? Not at all, Trevok replied, in a voice he failed to keep the irritation from. But I am sure the queen has things that she needs to attend to, and the rest of you, 
I have nothing to do, the queen said, with a slow smile and a look that made Trebok feel like a plant being studied by a botanist, and I would be honored to meet your family. Well, that settled it. He couldn't very well refuse the queen in her own city under the gaze of his captain. All right, Trebok said in a slow, nervous voice. Follow me. Wonderful, boomed Varus in a voice that filled the room as he flung his arms wide, causing Serafina to flinch back and Ren to duck. I promise I'll be on my best behavior. Parents love me. Off they went, winding down the streets of Durandur, four clustered in back and one leading the way. As Serafina told Wren about the last time they were in Durandur, Varus ducked through low archways and the queen attempted to hide her face under a hood. Trebok said nothing. He couldn't say anything. He couldn't listen to the conversation. All his concentration was being used to ignore a thrall. They're quite the merry band, aren't they? It hissed in his ear. Trebok flicked his eyes this way and that, but he still couldn't see it. Not yet. You've been with them for such a long time now, and I still know so little about them. It continued in an almost pleasant tone. Who are they, and why are you here? It asked. Trebok schooled his face into careful neutrality. He'd been ignoring a thrill for most of his life, he told himself. This was no different. They turned the corner, and then they were at the inn. Right this way, Trevok said in a tone that was too bright, with a smile that was too forced. All four of his companions shot him a strange look as they passed through the door, and he fought the urge to bang his head into the doorframe. The inn was exactly as he remembered it. Not grand by any stretch, but comfortable and respectable. The stone floors were smooth and clean. The air was warm and smelled of rosemary. It was also almost empty, which wasn't surprising at this time of day, but Trebok still breathed a sigh of relief. At least it would be a small, contained scene. Ma, he called out as he walked through the dining room. Ma, I'm home, and I've brought friends. Ignore me for now, child, Ithril spat in his ear. But you cannot ignore me forever. You will answer my questions. Trebok, came a high-pitched voice from the kitchen. Trebok, you're home and you didn't bother to send word. There was a soft, frantic, bustling noise, and then his mother was there, in all her auburn glory. She was tutting and squawking and exclaiming, What happened to your cloak? Your eye is bruised. Have you been eating? You look so thin. He knew his mother had once been thought a local beauty. On one level, Trevok could understand how this could be true. With her broad shoulders, thick red hair, clear as cream skin, and her sparkling eyes, she had all the right features to be attractive. However, Trevok had never known the woman that had left men gaping and had stolen his father's heart. Now her features were always tinged with anxiety. Her voice was always pitched into a high whine, and her mind was always expecting, and perhaps hoping for, the worst. Gone off to the misty forest, Trevok heard her saying. We hadn't heard from you in all that time, and then just yesterday we got word of all the happenings that were going on there. I just knew you had been killed or eaten or taken prisoner, or even worse, even now you might be- Ma, Trevok interrupted. She hadn't taken a breath since the moment she saw him, and Trevok was starting to hear noises that sounded suspiciously like snorts and muffled giggles at his back. Ma, I'd like to introduce you to my friends, he said, draping his hand across her shoulders and turning her to face the group. This is Varus, Serafina. Stars above, his mother gasped. Trevok turned his head and saw that the queen had taken off her hood and was looking around the room with a look of comfortable approval. You're here, she said on a nervous giggle. You're here, now in my inn. 
Yes, Rin said with a smile at the queen, whose face remained impassive except for a small twitch of her eyebrows. We're all here. Travok's mother didn't seem to have heard her. Instead, she just kept saying the same version of, You're here, over and over again. You're here. Why are you here? Oh, I'm in such a state. Hello, Serafina said, stepping forward with a warm smile and taking Travok's mother by the hand. My name is Serafina. This is Varus, Rin, and of course you already know Her Majesty. May I ask what your name is? Ma let out a breathy, hysterical giggle and said, Serafina, the same Serafina that helped restore the queen to her rightful place. That Serafina is in my inn and wants to know my name. For a moment, she looked like she was going to collapse, but then she pulled herself straighter and said with every bit of dignity she could muster, My name is Cathar Dresden, ma'am, at your service. Well, Cathar, Serafina continued, you have a very brave and noble son here. He's been no end of help to us. He's helped us defeat cultists and fiends and dragons, Cathar wailed. I just knew he'd be out there fighting dragons. He's going to get himself killed. The response was so sudden and dramatic that Serafina instinctively took a few steps back. Serafina glanced sideways at the queen and Varus, and then whispered out of the side of her mouth, She didn't even let me say it. Rin giggled, but Cathar failed to notice. Runic? she shrieked. Flint, get down here! The queen is here and Travok is going to get himself killed, which is going to be the death of me! There were the sounds of muffled, shuffling footsteps. Then Rurik, Travok's father, appeared. He was big for a dwarf, with broad shoulders and heavy brows that made him look stern even if he was smiling, which he rarely did. His dark hair was pulled back, and his beard was worn in twin braids held in place by silver beads at the end. Pa, Travok said by way of greeting, and nodded in his father's direction. His father returned the nod, and then caught sight of the queen, and turned the nod into a deep bow. I'll go get the ale, Ruick said, after he had returned to his full height, and then left for the kitchen without another word. Well, that was Pa, Travok said under his breath to no one in particular. Above, the ceiling started to shake, and dust fell on Varus's ears, causing them to twitch instinctively. They all heard the heavy footsteps move over their heads, and to the top of the stairs. And that will be... Brother! boomed Flint as he reached the bottom of the stairs and saw Travok. Flint bounded over to his brother, wrapped him in a bear hug, and ruffled his hair. I was wondering when you were going to make it home. Ma's been making herself sick, waiting for you. Cathar let out an anguished sigh from the corner. Flint turned to say something to his mother, and finally caught sight of their company. His mouth fell open and his eyes went wide. After several long, silent moments, Flint turned back to Travok and said, Brother, you've gone off and got yourself famous. He's not famous, his mother moaned from her corner, not wanting to be outdone or forgotten. He's as good as dead. Travok looked to the heavens and let out a groan that made him sound very much like his father. He should have never brought his friends here. He should have lied and said his house was infected with the plague or something. No, he thought. No, if he had done that, Serafina would have just insisted on coming and attempting to heal everyone. He winced in imagined embarrassment as he pictured the scene. Hate to argue with you, Ma, Flint said, snapping Travok out of his daydream. But Travok is standing right here, alive and well. And he is standing next to the queen herself and two of her champions. If he keeps up with this, bards will be writing songs about him in no time. He gave Travok a playful punch on the shoulder, and then turned back to the group. Hello, Flint said, and a wolfish grin spread across his face as his eyes landed on Rin. I don't believe I know you. 
Wren smiled and cocked her head to one side, the way she always did before she said something clever. However, before she could open her mouth, Cathar exclaimed, Are you blind? The Queen of Durinder stands before you and you're wasting time talking to the stable boy. Trebok's head snapped forward and his face went pale as he made a quick survey of the group. The Queen's expression remained as regular as ever, though Trebok suspected she was biting the inside of her cheek to keep from laughing. Varus actually did laugh, and then made an attempt to turn it into a cough, which then caused him to sneeze. Serafina was staring at the ceiling, mouth drawn into a tight-lipped smile, as she fought to keep her shoulders from shaking. Finally, his eyes found Wren, who did not look offended or angry. Instead, her face was serene, bordering on blank, except for the corners of her lips which were twitching, and her eyes. Her gold eyes were looking right into Travox and dancing with a thousand jokes all of which Travok knew would be at his expense. I think you need to look again, Ma, Flint said, a smile pulling at the corners of his own mouth. That's no boy. Cathar spun to face Wren, and then turned as red as her hair. Oh, I'm so sorry, my dear, she said, bringing her hands up to frame her own face. Though, she added in an undertone, a woman with your build really should think twice before cutting her hair so short. It's very confusing for the rest of us. I'll take that into consideration next time I pick up my scissors, Wren said. My mother must be going blind in her old age, Flint said. No one would ever mistake you for a boy. I'm not that old, his mother said, a fence snapping her out of her premature mourning for Travok. I'm not yet two hundred, but no one paid her any attention. Instead, Wren smiled and shrugged her shoulders, an action that made her look, in Travok's opinion, Slightly feline and very feminine. She's not wrong, Wren said, and sometimes it's better to be overlooked or mistaken for something else in my line of work. And what line of work is that exactly? Flint asked. He made his voice lower the way he always seemed to do when talking to women. Travok rolled his eyes to the ceiling and left them there. He could not believe this was happening in front of their mother, in front of the queen, in front of him. Tell you what, Wren said as she crossed the room and threaded her arm through Flint's. I'll trade you questions for questions. Her tone was more playfully condescending than flirtatious, Travok thought, as he watched her gently start to lead Flint to one of the larger tables, pulling the rest of the group along behind them. I simply must know everything about Travok, starting with, did he always have that wrinkle between his eyebrows, or has that just shown up because he's always disapproving of me? Flint let out a hearty chuckle as he pulled a chair out for Wren and then took the seat next to her. Now how could anyone ever disapprove of someone as delightful as you? Flint looked across the table at Travok as he took the seat opposite them. Something in his brother's expression made Flint raise his eyebrow slightly, as if he wanted to ask a question. Then he sat up a little straighter and turned his body just fractionally away from Wren and towards Travok. Flint cleared his throat and said to Wren, <coughs> As interesting as I'm sure you are, I'm actually much more interested in making Travok answer questions. Then, facing his brother, he asked, Is what Ma's wailing about true? Have you really been fighting dragons? Travok weighed his options and decided that his mother couldn't get any more hysterical, and that he might not ever get another chance to brag like this to his brother. Leaning forward, Travok put his hands on the table and let his face break into a wicked grin and then said in a low voice, I haven't just fought one, I've killed one. 
Flint banged his fist on the table and raised his hands into the air. Cathar cried, I knew it, and brought her hands up to cover her eyes. Serafina and Rin leaned forward and tried to reassure Cathar that it was really only a little dragon and nothing to worry about, to which Varus replied that it was not a little dragon at all, and Travok was a great hero for handling everything so well, even though it was his first time and they were so vastly outnumbered. And that's how it went. Ruick eventually joined them, bringing the ale, and then sitting down and saying nothing for the rest of the afternoon, but smiling once at Varus's stories. His mother seemed to be torn between fainting over worry for him or fainting over excitement to have such great people in her inn. Flint made no more obvious attempts at flirting with Wren, but both seemed to enjoy making the other one laugh. Travok liked her laugh, he realized suddenly. It sounded completely ridiculous, like a whole flock of seagulls or a sneeze or something else impossible to keep contained and quiet. She had just tipped her head back in a full-throated cackle at something Varus had just said when its voice whispered in his ear again. She is pretty, I suppose, if you like that sort of thing. The thrall's voice dripped into his mind and sent shudders down his spine. Travok closed his eyes and turned his head away from the group. No, 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 he thought. Don't let it take my thoughts away again. When he opened his eyes again, he found Wren was sitting next to him, right next to him, far too close and far too still. Her face turned the pale purple color of a corpse. Her lips cracked open and her eyes became bloodshot and rabid. As soon as Travok understood what he was seeing, it leapt forward. Using Wren's hands, it dug its long clawed fingers into his temples, holding his head still and forcing him to look it in the eye. It opened Wren's mouth to reveal sharp, fang-like teeth, and growled in a cracked, gargling, dry voice, so unlike the woman sitting across the table from him. Who are they? Instinctively, Travok thought of the wall, and the nightmare image disappeared. He jerked his head back and looked around the table. Everyone was laughing at Wren, who had just shot out ale from her nose from laughing too hard. Flint was hitting her on the back and passing her a rag to wipe her face, and she was trying to keep it cupped in her hands. Flint, Travok said, getting to his feet without warning. May I speak to you privately for a moment? All right, Flint said slowly, as he cautiously took his hand from Wren's back. Flint got up, and together the brothers moved away from the table to stand in a nearby corner. Look, Flint said, before Travok could start talking. I didn't mean to step on your toes, he said, raising his hands, palms out, as if he was showing that they were empty. It was only a bit of harmless flirting, but message received. What? Travok asked, eyes squinting and forehead creasing in confusion. Wren, Flint said, jerking his head back towards the table. The little pixie you walked in the door with. What? Travok said again, louder as if hoping that his volume would somehow make his brother's words start making sense. His eyes traveled back to the table where Wren sat. She was sitting too still, her gaze too vacant. Travok had no way of proving it, but he would have bet his parents in that she was trying to listen in to their conversation. Travok narrowed his eyes and glared at her back. Grabbing Flint's arm, he pulled him farther back into the corner and turned his back on the table. Don't be ridiculous, Travok growled. I couldn't care less about her. Flint rolled his eyes. Which is why we're hiding in this corner, arguing about her, instead of sitting at a comfortable table, listening to your glory stories. I didn't bring you back here to talk about her. Travok said through clenched teeth. I'm not some moonstruck adolescent anymore. Flint scoffed. 
We're going into the mines tomorrow. Flint gave his brother a level stare. So? he asked, slowly like a man searching in the dark for his missing shoe. So, Travok said, stuttering and also searching for the right words to say, it could be dangerous. And dragons and fiends aren't dangerous, Flint asked, still staring into his brother's eyes. No, they're plenty dangerous, Travok said, breaking his brother's stare and rubbing the back of his neck. I just want to make sure Ma and Pa and everything's taken care of. Oh, yes, Flint said, with a quick flick of his eyes towards the ceiling. I forgot how much this struggling family depends on your soldier's salary. Flint crossed his arms and gave his brother a lopsided smile. That's not what I meant, Travok said, not sure how this conversation had gotten away from him so quickly. Well, what did you mean? He didn't know. Travok had absolutely no idea what he meant or what he wanted to say. Mithral was back. Travok didn't think he could control it anymore. He couldn't keep shoving it in boxes. He couldn't keep ignoring it. How much longer did he have before all the magic rings in the world couldn't save him? How much longer could his thoughts be his own? How much longer would he be in control? How much more time did he have left to say goodbye? Travok shook his head and pulled himself straighter. Saying goodbye wasn't going very well, so he thought he'd go ahead and try lying. I've just seen things in the past several days, and I'm nervous is all. I just want to make sure everything's all right here. Flint continued to cross his arms. He pursed his lips together and gave Travok a quick up-and-down flick of his eyes before asking, Does this have anything to do with that girl? Travok cursed his brother silently and attempted to hold his skeptical stare. That was all he needed right now, to be reminded of that horrible night. What girl? he asked. Flint didn't look amused. The halfling girl who sent you to your room for three days. I have no idea what you're talking about, Travok said in a blank, vacant voice. After several silent seconds, Flint groaned, Fine, have it your own way. He blew out an impatient breath. Yes, everything here is fine, and exactly the way you left it. Ma is a bundle of nerves, Pa still mainly talks and grunts, I am still here and bored and the inn is still profitable and totally fine without you. As he finished, Flint threw his back against one of the nearby carved columns supporting the upper story and blew out a frustrated breath that made him sound very much like their father. Travok absently nodded, put his shoulders against the opposite wall, and turned to face the table. Varus was still talking and gesturing with his hands. As they watched, Serafina leaned over to the queen and whispered something in her ear that caused her to smile. Rin sat with her back to them, face partially obscured, interrupting Varus to lean over and take their mother's arm solicitously, and to say something to her with an encouraging smile. Cathar, for her part, shook off Rin's hand and continued to look like she was going to need smelling salts. Travok smiled to himself as he looked at the group. Despite everything... Faith had given him another perfect moment, a picture to hold in his mind to give him strength to do what needed to be done. Friends and family gathered around a table to share stories and smiles. Your brother misses you, though, Flint interrupted his thoughts with his quiet, kind voice. He misses your strange questions. Travok smiled. He always said I was the strange one, he said, not taking his eyes away from the table. And I haven't been wrong about you yet, Flint said, giving Travok a hearty slap on the back. 
Whatever you're worried about, whatever you're facing, you'll beat it. I know you can. Trebok smiled as he stumbled forward under the weight of Flint's hand. Let's get back to the table, he said. We'll need to be leaving soon. Trebok started to weave his way back to the table, Flint following in his wake. Why so soon? Flint asked as they took their seats at the table. Why so what? Kithar asked, head going back and forth between her two sons. They're leaving soon, Flint said, without delicacy or hesitation. Oh no! Kithar said on a little whine. No, no, no! You must all stay for dinner. It's not a grand table, but all of you are more than welcome. You could all do with a good home-cooked meal. Sorry, Ma. We already have dinner plans, Trebok said, then turned to meet his brother's eye and said with a smile, At the palace. Both Flint and Cathar's mouths fell open, and even Runic's eyebrows went up at the idea of their son dining at the royal palace. Please, Flint began when he recovered his wits. Please, 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 please let me come. I'll never ask for another thing as long as I live. Trebok let the silence hang in the air as he leaned forward and said with a malicious grin, No. Oh, come on, Flint said, settling into an indignant pout. Why not? We're just going over plans for tomorrow, Trebok said. It's going to be very dull. It's just going to be me, eating dinner, in the palace, with the queen. He smiled as he took another sip of ale. Flint leaned his head back in his chair and brought his hands up to cover his face as he muttered oaths and curses about younger brothers into his palms. Gothar brought a hand up and started rubbing Flint's shoulders reassuringly. Oh, let your brother go, she chided Trebok. How many more times is an opportunity like this ever going to happen for him? Happen for him? Trebok stammered. It's my invitation, therefore it's my opportunity. If he wanted to eat at the palace this bad, he should have joined the order. Oh, Trevok, his mother scolded. How can you be this selfish? We certainly didn't raise you to be selfish. Trevok threw his hands wide in frustration. It might be my invitation, Ma, but it's not my palace. I can't just go around inviting whoever I choose. Trevok watched the thought enter their heads at the exact same time. Flint brought his hands down to look at Trevok. At the same time, his mother stopped rubbing his back. Then, in slow motion unison, they turned their heads to face the queen. He really is such a sweet boy, Cathar was saying, and always the life of the party whenever he goes, isn't he? Please, your majesty, Flint said as he leaned closer to the queen than decorum probably allowed. Please, I'm nothing if not a loyal subject. Please, 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 let me come to dinner. Please, 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 please. Trevok took some comfort in knowing that a thrill would not have a chance to kill him, because he was simply going to die of embarrassment from his own family. It took the queen promising to invite Flint to the next feast, twenty minutes of goodbyes and well wishes, one panic attack from his mother, and some skillful social maneuvering from Serafina and Wren, before they were able to get out the door. No sooner than his foot was over the threshold than Trevok began to hear a thrill again. Trevok. It whispered in its sing-song voice. Trevok, you've been ignoring me. Who are they, Trevok, and why won't you answer my questions? He hated that it was using his name, and it knew he hated it. Why are you here, Trevok? Where are you going, Trevok? Why won't you talk to me, Trevok? You have to say something sometime, Trevok. So they sat down to dinner to plan for tomorrow, with the thrall's voice filling Trevok's head. 
Trevant couldn't hear the planning. He couldn't taste his food. He barely could see the table. All he could hear was a thrall. Trevac, tell me, Trevac. Why are you here, Trevac? What are you looking for, Trevac? Why won't you answer me, Trevac? Trevac looked down at his plate and discovered dinner was over, and they had moved on to dessert. A blob of what could only be described as gray-yellow ice cream sat under his nose, and Trevac hadn't the foggiest idea how it had gotten there. What is this? He asked to no one in particular, as he leaned forward to smell the strained-looking sweet. Seraphina shot him a look and said, You're the one that asked for it. You called it, oh, I don't know, something beginning with an A? Amber something. Ambergine, he said in disgust, leaning back from his plate as the smell of salted mushrooms and dead leaves filled his nose. What on earth had possessed him to order Ambergine ice cream? We need to talk, Trevac, the thrall's voice came again. Trevac grimaced like a man with a toothache and reached for his pint. There were quite a few empty ones around him, he noticed. How many of these had he drunk without noticing, and how many of these belonged to Varus? He decided he didn't care, and picked up the nearest glass. Go away, he thought at a thrall. What? What was that? The thrall asked. It's so loud in here. Quite a lot going on, actually. Go away, Trevok thought louder. Sorry? The thrall said again, really having a hard time hearing you. Perhaps you should try speaking up. Now, what are your plans here in the mountain? Not now, Trevok muttered through barely parted lips. What was that? Came a voice to his immediate left. Rin was seated at his elbow, looking down at him and corking her favorite eyebrow. Nothing, he said, with a mild shake of his head, just thinking out loud. Oh, Good, came a thrall's too cheery voice. I did hear you that time, but unfortunately I do need to know now. So I'll ask you again, why are you here? Trevok went silent and glared at a spot on the far wall. Oh no, oh, oh, Trevok! A thrall was now yelling as if trying to be heard over a big crowd. Trevok, I seem to have lost you again. I'll say it louder. Why are you here? The friendly tone had gone, to be replaced by a growling, spitting, snarling voice that made Trevok feel like the back of his neck was being watched by something very large and very hungry. A memory of hunting as a boy flashed through his mind. Don't run, his father said. If you run, they'll have to chase you. Not now, Trevok said in a slow, measured tone. Hold your ground, his own voice said in his head. Hold your ground, and don't blink. It's testing you. What? Came Ren's voice again, sharp and annoyed. Oh, what? Was Trevok's clever reply. Just now, she said with unblinking certainty. You said not now. Not now what? Trevok desperately searched the room for something, anything that might explain him talking to the thin air. The, the captain, he said, as his eyes landed on Tordek's back, striding down the hallway. I saw him leaving, and I said, not now, to try to get him to stay. Trevok reached out a hand as if to call the captain back. Rin looked at the hand, and then looked at Trevok, and slowly raised both of her eyebrows, but said nothing. Trevok brought his hand back, feeling like an idiot. 
Cupping his chin in his other hand, he turned his attention back to pushing his disgusting ice cream around his plate without actually eating it. Why even bother sending all of us after the colt, he thought to himself. They could just send Rin's eyebrows after them and have the whole thing rounded up in a month. Ethrall's voice came again, swirling around him now like a windstorm. When, then, it hissed. When can we talk? When will you answer my questions? When? 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 Enough is enough, Travok thought to himself. He allowed the room before him to lose focus as he slipped inside his mind. The library was still cast in that eerie shade of red, but the small parts of his personality had been busy. The signs of light and warding were sketched on the walls, and their glow was doing its best to break up the scarlet haze. Every so often, one of the symbols would flicker, and a smaller Travok would hurry to replace and reinforce it. Other Travoks were scurrying around the room, moving books and papers, watching various mirrors and windows. A few left and then came back, carrying arms full of scrolls and notebooks. The hum of an active mind was everywhere. It was a mind at work. It was a mind at war. Where is it? Travok said in a commanding voice that he did not know he possessed, as he walked forward to the main observation mirror. His better self met him there. Currently, we are unsure. However, and he bent forward to touch the mirror, which rippled like water, and then stilled to show a map of the city. It seems to keep bouncing back and forth between the outer wall here, he pointed to an area outside the city, and the mirror maze on the outskirts here. Has it tried to enter anywhere else? Travok gasped, peering at the map. Not to my knowledge, but it's hard to say how much of the layout of the city it's familiar with the older man explained as he stroked his beard. As far as we can tell, once it escaped, it was pulled either by instinct or force out of the city and beyond the dome where it started to try to interfere with you directly. Once we realized it was gone, emergency protocol was immediately enacted and the layout was changed, but there is still no knowing what or how much it learned on its way out. Travok stepped back from the mirror. Still, he said, if it hasn't gone past the outer part of the maze, that means the mirrors are doing their work. We should expand that part so we could cover the whole circumference of the city. The commander nodded, and behind him Travok could hear a flurry of motion as his mind got to work, making improvements to the defenses. Do we know how it escaped yet? He asked after a few seconds of silence. A smaller, slimmer Travok, with short, dust-colored hair and a beard that was almost invisible, spoke up. There's actually some debate about that he said as he crossed his arms over his vest and leaned a hip against a table in a gesture that the true Travok found disquietingly familiar. Who did that remind him of? Some of us think that it's because of physical proximity. The piece of a thrall that was in you grew stronger because it is now physically closer to the original. However, some of us are saying that it's because of the physical exhaustion and the overuse of the ring. Something niggled at the back of Travok's memory. Something about how he was dressed, or that hit propped against the table. What do you think it is? Travok asked as he continued to squint and puzzle over the appearance of this part of his personality. In response, they snorted and rolled their eyes. I say, why can't it be both? The ring is not meant- Stars and stones, Travok said in a gasp of frustration, cutting in mid-explanation. It was that snort and eye roll that did it combined with that tone of voice, that arrogant, I-know-better-than-everyone-else-in-the-room voice. Why? He said slowly. On earth above and below, do you look like her?
the sandy-haired Trebok, who was looking more and more feminine by the second, pursed their lips and gave a small, guilty dart of the eyes to the papers sitting on the desk. What do you mean? they asked in a voice that made Trebok grind his teeth in frustration. He marched over to the table and snatched up the papers. There, right at the top of the pile, was a very detailed and skilled ink drawing of Rin. It had captured her perfectly, not just in detail, but in spirit. The glimmer in her eye before she told a joke, the cork of her lips right before she laughed. The imagined piece of paper actually looked like her in a way he knew the flat drawings of the real world never could. Did you? he asked in a voice starting to shake with rage. Draw this. Um, the Travok that was no longer Travok said. Now that the paper had been discovered, the rest of their appearance started to change more rapidly. The beard disappeared entirely. The brows became less pronounced. The waist narrowed. Stop that, Travok snapped. I can't help it. The person who was not quite Travok, but not yet Wren, bit back. They really can't. The older and wiser Travok said, stepping forward to lay a restraining hand on the true Travok's arms. You know they can't. Travok rounded on himself. This is a bad idea, he said, flinging a hand back to gesture at the stolen part of his personality. She belongs in the safe neutral category of party member, or maybe even annoying but friendly acquaintance. Not bouncing around the innermost part of my mind. We are just doing the best with what we've been given. Trevok recognized that tone of voice. It was the voice a patient and overworked sergeant used when explaining reality to an over-demanding officer. I don't want this, he said in short clipped tones. This is a very bad idea for many reasons, not least of which is that it gives something for a thrall to sink its teeth into. I know, sir, but fix it, Travok commanded. His voice was filled with stress and frustration, but offered no solution. His better self groaned and looked up. From his back, he heard a sharp, sarcastic, feminine voice ask, And how exactly do you want us to do that? Travok wheeled around and pointed a finger right at Ren's slightly upturned nose. Either change back, or go find a closet to hide in till all of this is over. She rolled her eyes as she pushed her way past the table and walked off to go melt into the shadows and hopefully be forgotten. He closed his eyes and pinched the bridge of his nose. This was all he needed. A mutiny in his own mind led by the imagined form of a woman Travok was determined to ignore. Rin is speaking, his older self said. I thought I made it clear that I don't care if she's speaking or what she is saying, he said, still closing his eyes and rubbing the center of his forehead. We have more important things to worry about. You'll care about this, his future self said, and a half second later, Rin's voice was filling the library. I don't know, just weird, she was saying. I've heard him talking to himself. Nothing to worry about. What do you mean, weird? Serafina was asking, in hushed tones. How many times have you heard him talking to himself? Trevok opened his eyes and turned to face the observation mirror, which now showed the two women at the banquet table leaning slightly towards each other as they tried to have a private conversation in a public space. Serafina was alert and looking at Wren with her intense red eyes like she was trying to squeeze the truth from her with her stare. Wren was shifting this way and that in her seat like she was, what? Guilty? Embarrassed? Till that moment, Travok would have sworn she knew no shame. But here she was, clearly uncomfortable and unsure what to say next.
Not bad weird, she said at last. Not dangerous weird. Just weird. I mean, look at him. Rin gave him a quick darting look with her eyes without moving her head. Seraphina just turned and blatantly stared at him. Then, in hushed tones, Rin said, We're sitting here having a full-blown conversation about him, and he's just pushing his ice cream around his bowl. Do you think he can hear us? Seraphina asked in a shocked whisper that did nothing to lower the volume of her voice. Rin gave her a level look and said, Yes, I think he could hear us if he wanted to, but I'm not sure he wants to. She shrugged and went on. He stares into space. He talks to himself. He's a little awkward, but harmless. When did you hear him talk to himself? Serafina said, not willing to let the subject drop. Rin paused for a fraction of a second. A murmur of conversation went around the room behind Travok. The library, he breathed in sudden remembrance. She was already in there when I was talking to a thrall. I've only seen him do it once, maybe twice, she said, but it's not anything I would worry myself about. What did it sound like? Serafina asked, and her voice was as focused and sharp as a blade in battle. I don't know, Rin replied, sounding annoyed and trying to turn her attention back to her own slice of cake. Like he was talking to himself. Like I was hearing one half of an argument or a conversation. She took a bite of her cake and shrugged her shoulders. Just normal talking to himself things. I talk to myself all the time. I never talk to myself. Serafina said, looking at Rin as if she had started sticking cake in her ears instead of her mouth. Never? Rin asked, giving Serafina the same look. Never. But I talk to myself all the time. Talking to yourself is great, Rin said. You can have an argument with someone and always win. You're always right. Her eyes were a bit brighter now, and her smile had taken on a manic gleam. That's why I'm so great at arguing. I get lots of practice. She smiled a smile that would make the rational parts of most people's minds run and hide under their beds. Serafina, however, was unmoved and undeterred. No, Wren, Serafina said in a voice that sounded like an annoyed and tired governess. I do not talk to myself, and the last time one of us started talking to themselves, things got... complicated. Complicated, Wren said replacing her smile with a look of concentration as she leaned forward and lowered her voice. Complicated how? Complicated like we had to get Blackstaff involved and perform an exorcism on Varus. Rin let out a small, surprised, Oh. Yes, Serafina said, with more than a little condescension in her voice, as she leaned back a little bit. Oh. I really, really don't think we have anything to worry about with Trevok, Rin said. What if you want, I can keep an eye on him tonight. After he goes to bed, I'll- Excuse me, Travok said, loudly and without warning, as he forced his mind back into the present moment. The whole table jumped, and Serafina and Wren looked at him with guilty surprise. I'm tired, he said, as he felt the blush start to creep up the back of his neck. If we're done here, I think I might call it an early night. The group slowly nodded their consent. Before they could wish him a good night- Travok had turned away from the table and tried to make his way as quickly as he could to his room. You need a plan, said a voice in his head that was older and wiser than his own. I have a plan, he thought in a tone that sounded desperate and panicked even to himself. Keep fortifying and improving the city. Hopefully its influence will fade once we've left Durinder. Sir, 
the disbelieving voice of his second-in-command said, Do you really believe that you can go into those mines tomorrow and not see the creature? Not face it? No, Trevok thought simply. But I can't tell them either. In his mind's eye, he could see their faces when he told them. Terror? Disgust? Maybe the queen would have him executed. He had never had friends before. Not really. Not since the thrall. Family, yes. Pleasant acquaintances, yes. But not friends. He remembered hearing once that true friends would not desert you in your hour of need, no matter what your crime was. Trebok supposed that was supposed to make it easier for a person to be honest about their shortcomings. But right now, in this moment, he didn't understand how such a thing could be possible. How could he tell these people, who had trusted him, who had fought by his side, about a thrall? How could he tell them that he had lied to them all, had used them, had put them all in danger, and expect them to trust him again, to look at him the same way, to call him a friend? No, he could not tell them for the same reason he couldn't tell Flick, or Tordic, or anyone else. This was his battle, his monster, his fight, and he could do it alone. I see you're talking to someone besides me, came a thrall's voice. Should I be jealous? Travok said nothing, just continued to march to his room. If he could just get there, if he could just get some peace behind his closed door, maybe he could think his way out of this corner. Still not talking to me, even when we're alone in an empty hallway. I am going to be jealous. Trebok picked up his pace. He reached his door, threw it open, and slammed it behind him. Trebok was not even a little bit surprised to see a thrall, dressed as Wren, sitting on his bed. Why are you here? It said each word, one at a time, punctuating them with a little pinprick of pain behind his left eye. The colt. Trevok said, not looking at the creature sitting on his bed, and instead moving to his pack. They've started gathering creatures from the Underdark. We're here to stop them. He opened his pack and started digging through the contents, pulling out things at random. What are you looking for? Thrall asked as a shirt flew by its head. The colt, Trevok said, in a flat, impatient tone, still nose deep in his belongings. Thrall gave an unimpressed snort. Not in the caves, in your bag. Trevok gave a little manic cry of triumph as he pulled the bag of incense that Blackstaff had given him from his bag. Athral rolled Wren's golden eyes. Do you even know what that stuff is? It said in a voice normally used by unimpressed older siblings. It's incense given to me by the Lord Mage of Waterdeep to help me meditate and clear my mind. He walked over to the table in the center of the room, grabbing a flint on the way. His hand shook as he placed the holder and a small scented stick in the middle of the table. He took a deep breath, stilled his hands, and lit the incense. Trevok attempted to find a comfortable seated position, but his heart and mind were racing too fast for stillness to feel natural. The smoke swirled around him, stinging his eyes and choking his lungs. This couldn't be happening, he kept thinking. How could this be happening? Ethrall slinked across the room and squatted down in front of him, nose to nose, it said. Do you honestly believe a little narcotic smoke and deep breathing will get rid of me? Trevok pushed every bit of defiance and hatred he had ever known into his gaze. I believe I will use any tool at my disposal to protect my kingdom, my people, and my friends from the likes of you. Ethrall scoffed. 
I can think of four tools you're making the active choice not to use. It smirked in a way so unlike Rin that it was disturbing to see the look on her face. If you continue on this path, it said, if you continue to defy and threaten me, they will all die. And this one, it made a sweeping motion up and down the body it now wore, will be one of the first, and she will go painfully, with you watching. Trevok jumped to his feet, wanting as he had never wanted anything in his life to be able to hit a thrall. Stay away from her, he commanded. Stay away from them all. A thrall just chuckled. <laughs> Careful, boy. Your hand is showing. I swear, Trevok vowed through clenched teeth. I swear by all the heavens above and hells below, I will. A knock interrupted Trevok and his threats. He saw the image of a thrall flicker like a candle and then go out. Yes, he called to the door, but made no move to open it. No one answered. Instead, they just knocked, louder and more insistent. Trevok stomped over to the door, muttering oaths under his breath and wondering what servant in the queen's palace would dare be this rude. He opened the door, prepared to send whoever it was away, and found Wren, the real Wren. She was squinting down at him, with her disconcertingly shrewd stare. Who are you talking to? she asked before he had a chance to open his mouth. Good evening to you too, Wren, he said in a slow, impatient tone. How may I help you? You can help me by telling me who you were talking to, she said, as she pushed her way past him and into his room. Hey, Travok shouted, as he turned away from the door to follow her. No one, he said, myself. Wren paid absolutely no attention to him. She strode into the room like it was her own, bending down to check under the bed and look around the doors. What on earth is that smell? She choked out, waving her hand in front of her face, and then spotted the incense on the table, and stopped in her tracks. Spinning to face him, and waving a hand at the table, Ren said, Do you even know what that stuff is? Why does everyone keep asking me that? Travak asked the ceiling in frustration. Yes, I know what that is. It is incense given to me by Blackstaff to help me clear my mind and prepare my psychic defenses. <sighs> clear your mind, she said, like it was the most ridiculous thing she had ever heard. More like cloud your judgment. She unceremoniously stubbed out the stick and turned to meet his eyes. We are in a mine, and you want to pollute the only clean air we have with this nonsense? It's not nonsense, Trevok said, not sure how he had found himself in a fight but more than willing to play his part. Several very well-respected practitioners recommend this practice. Besides, he said, flinging his arms wide, this is my room, isn't it? Shouldn't I be allowed to breathe whatever I like in my room? Why are you talking to yourself? Wren repeated without preamble. Why are you staring off into space so much? Why are you sneaking off to corners with your brother to have secret conversations? I knew you were trying to listen in, Trevok said as he took Rin roughly by the arm and started to drag her forcefully towards the open door. Now, like I said, I am tired, and I have preparations to make before tomorrow, so good night, Rin, he said, as he pushed her through the door. Before he could close it, though, she was back, propping her forearms against the door and the doorframe, wedging herself in between. She was surprisingly strong for someone of her size and build, wiry muscles built out of frustrated desperation. She was bent over as she continued to try to hold the door open. Her eyes were on a level. I'm going into those mines too tomorrow, you know, she panted. So is Varus, and Serafina, and your queen. If you know something that could save us or kill us, we have a right to know. 
Are you two all right over there? came Serafina's voice from behind Wren. They must have been making an awful lot of noise if she had come out into the hall to check on them. Wren lifted her eyebrows at him as if to say, well. It looked like a challenge, but it felt more like an offer. The last offer to make the last right choice. Travok let out a long, defeated sigh. It wasn't just the right choice. It was the only choice. He might die tomorrow. And if he did, Ithril would still be beneath Durnder, and Durnder would have no way of knowing that it was even a threat. He stopped trying to push the door closed, and waved Serafina over. I have something that I need to tell both of you, he said, without meeting their eyes. We're all ears, Trebok, Serafina said in a friendly tone, with a sideways glance at Wren as she came to stand beside her. He blew out another breath and looked at the floor. This wasn't how he pictured confessing, trapped in front of his own door by one of the most well-meaning people he had ever met, and Wren. But then again, he never really imagined telling anyone. When I was a boy, he began, but then stopped himself. Your Majesty, he said, as the Queen came into his line of sight. Evening, the Queen said with a nod to the small group. Brenora, Serafina said with surprise, what are you doing here? In my palace? The Queen asked with a slight twitch of her lips. Serafina gave a little snort of amused annoyance. I was on my way to speak with Trevok, but the two of you seem to have beat me to it. I should go get Varus, too, Serafina said, and then stopped and turned a concerned eye back to Travok. But of course, only if you're comfortable with all of us hearing what you have to say. Travok didn't trust himself to speak, so he simply nodded. Great, Serafina said. I'll go wake him. Wait here. Travok stared, open mouthed at the stonework on the floor. He couldn't look at any of them if he had any hope of telling them everything. He was too afraid of what a thrall might show him if he met their eyes. Trebok might not be able to see it now, but he could still feel it just beneath the surface of his mind, twitching and slithering like a snake under a blanket. Please, he directed his thoughts to the busier parts of his mind. Please hold it off long enough for me to do what needs to be done. Maybe we should also find some place a little more private for this conversation, Rin said in a hushed tone. Walls have ears, and hallways have bigger walls than most places. Varus's room? the queen asked. Everyone nodded and walked towards the room. Wren reached the door first and pushed it open, and almost immediately stumbled back. Ha ah! ha! She screamed, covering her eyes. Brenora reached for the sword at her hip, Travok ready to spell in his mind. As they looked past Wren and into the room beyond, they were faced with the sight of an eight-foot-tall, well-muscled, and completely naked furbolg. I'm sorry, said Serafina, looking more annoyed than embarrassed. I was just telling him that he needed to put clothes on, and he was taking too long. The queen brushed past Trebok and into the room, looking like she didn't care one way or the other about Varus's current state. Trebok kept his eyes firmly fixed on the floor and cleared his throat. <clears throat> May I, um, come in? he asked. Why not? Varus said with a shrug as he made absolutely no move to put clothes on. Everyone else is. Travok entered the room, but Wren remained glued to the doorway. In or out, Wren, Vars chided in a sleepy, annoyed tone. You can't have it both ways. Put a robe on for goodness sake, she said, eyes lifted to the ceiling, hand flapping in the direction of an occupied hook on the wall. This is what you get when you open doors without knocking, 
Bar said with a chuckle as he reached for the robe and began putting it on. Sorry for interrupting your evening plans, Rin spat with a little glance in the direction of Serafina, but we have more important things to attend to. She turned to face Varus, who was now done putting on the robe. It's worse, she cried and snatched her eyes back to the ceiling. How on earth could it be worse? The robe was made for a dwarf, and on Varus was barely more than a shirt, which did nothing to hide his most essential features. This is a dwarven city, Wren, Varus said in amusement. It's not my fault that nothing's big enough for me. The beds aren't even big enough for me. What would you have me do? Shrink? May I suggest, Wren said, in a vicious tone Travok would never have expected from her, wearing it as a kilt. Oh, Varus said. I would have never thought of that. He took the robe off his shoulders and belted around his waist. It was a scene straight out of one of those ridiculous plays Flint was always dragging him to. The ones that were loud and rude and always ended with the right people getting married in the end. It was ludicrous, and something about it made Trevok relax enough to be able to tell his story. Varus sat down on the bed next to Serafina, elbows on his knees. All right, Trevok, he said. What do you have to tell us? And so he told them. He told them about how he had found a thrall when he was young. He told them about his training. He told them about the wall in his mind. He told them about training with Blackstaff. And he told them about how all his training seemed to be failing him now. Travok told them everything he could think about, and then allowed himself to sit and boil in the silence that followed. The queen took two steps forward, then pivoted on her back foot and drove a fist into the bedpost causing it to shake and splinter. Curse Barrelhammer, she bellowed. How could he let such a creature live in this mountain without his knowledge? How long am I going to be cleaning up his mess? Your Majesty, Travok said, the fault is more with me than him. I don't think I am not holding you responsible as well, she said, in a severity that made Travok's stomach drop. Your loyalty is to your people and this mountain, to keep such a secret from your captain from me, is not something that can go unnoticed. But you are young, and tried to solve the problem the way most young people do, on their own. But Barrelhammer was a leader of this kingdom, and the responsibility for its safety ultimately stopped with him. He should have known. My father should have known. I... But she stopped herself with a shake of her head, and went to go sit in a chair by the fireplace. Do you have a plan? Seraphina asked. A plan on how to deal with him. It, Travok corrected. And my plan was to keep it trapped in my mind. Rin scoffed. He doesn't have a plan, she said. Of course he doesn't have a plan. She was half sitting, half leaning on the dresser, arms propped behind her, chin stretching towards the sky. It made her shoulders look tight and her neck look long. Do you at least have any information? Rin asked, snapping Travok out of idle contemplation. You said it shows you things. What things has it been showing you? Travok dropped his head to his hands and started rubbing his eyes in small circles. He was so tired. His confession had left him emotionally spent, and he just didn't have the energy to be clever about this sort of thing. So he said the first thing that came to his head. Actually, he said, without taking his head from his hands, it's been showing me a lot of you lately. It likes to take the form of people who I'm attracted to, or who annoy me. I think it's its idea of a joke. The room went silent after he had spoken, and it was only then that Travok realized the implication of what he had just said. 
He looked up to see Rin staring with wide-eyed intensity at the floor. Her mind looked like it was hot oil skittering across a frying pan. Trevok wanted to take it back, but what could he say? No, no, don't worry, I find you incredibly annoying. Up until a few days ago, I didn't even think of you as a woman. Somehow, he didn't think that would quite strike the right tone either. Varus started to giggle, and nudged Serafina with his elbow. Look, he said in a whisper that did nothing to lower the volume of his voice. Rin speechless. Rin snatched her gaze from the floor and glared at Varus. Someone say something, she demanded, and started to pace the room in frustrated stomps. Why am I always the only one who ever says anything? The real question is, Varus said, in a voice that made Travok stop his worrying and look the other man in the eye, are you ready to face this? Because if you are, we are with you. Yes, Travok choked as he nodded emphatically. Yes, I am. Good, said Varus, standing up and clapping him on the shoulder. Then that's all that matters. That was not the end of the night. They had to tell Tordic and the other elders and advisors. They had to look at maps and come up with a plan. He had to tell the same shameful story over and over again. But each time it became easier. And throughout it all, Varus's words were with him. We are with you. That's all that matters. That was all that mattered, Travok realized. By the end of the night, Travok felt hollowed out and stretched too thin, but he also felt, for the first time in his memory, truly light. So, while recording this episode, three things were really clear to me and popped into my head. The first one is I haven't recorded in a while and I'm rusty and still getting into this again. The second is, I think this is uh, the first concrete example I have of how the characters were played in-game influencing my writing style. When I wrote Flint, I had this very clear image of who he was and what he sounded like in my head. And that carried over into the writing of Travok's backstory. When I wrote Flint, I didn't mean to write him with an accent, but it just turned out he had an accent. And when I recorded the first episode with Travok, or I guess second episode with Travok, Flint had an accent. I couldn't keep him from having an accent. And then we didn't see him for a while. And now we see him in this story again. And he didn't have one when I was recording him this time. I, I, he had a little bit of one, but it soon faded. And I couldn't figure out why that was. And I think what it is, is this is the first time that the DM got to embody him and got to make him his own character. And after I saw that, after I saw what the DM did with him, I wrote him differently without even realizing it until I was recording this episode, which is a really interesting and kind of fun thing that happens in these kind of role-playing games, because ultimately, it's a collaborative storytelling experience. You know, I'm not the only author here. There's at least five others. The, the third and final thing that popped into my head was the prep work that my husband and I did before the gameplay where the characters went back to Durandur. Mark knew he was going to have to uh, 
play Trevok and play Trevok fighting a Thrall. We knew that was going to be a plot point, both of us. And, you know, I had the privilege of knowing because I helped make that character, but nobody else did. And I remember talking with Mark and brainstorming how Trevok would feel and what it would be like and all these other things. And what Mark eventually came up with was Travok would be very ashamed and embarrassed, and he would want to hide this secret from his friends with everything he could. But ultimately, when he was loved unconditionally, and when he felt safe, he would share that secret with his friends. And no matter what happened at the end of it, no matter if they died battling a thrall, no matter what anybody thought after that, after he had that love and support, uh, Trevok would be fine, you know, emotionally speaking. And that that's such a powerful concept, this idea of forgiveness, the idea of shame versus guilt, uh, the idea of community, the idea of being able to atone for something. All of those things are something that I hold very near and dear to me, and it was great seeing how that could come out in this story, but also how it could be expressed via gameplay. Um, it, It was a really memorable moment being able to brainstorm that with Mark. I loved it.